You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. great challenge for the Christian living in the last days is to keep our focus fixed on heaven, to not allow what's happening in the world to soil our souls, cause us to fear as the world fears, but to persevere in the toughest of times to keep the faith. The faith. Luke 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Living in these difficult days on earth, it's easy to begin to despair, to question and doubt God and His power over the devastation happening. You may wonder if God's even in control. Today, Pastor Danny will encourage you as he reminds you that Jesus Himself warned of difficulties on earth in the end days. You'll be challenged to remain steadfast in your faith, persevere in prayer in difficult times. Prayer is a privilege, and there's a great power in prayer. Turn to the Lord in prayer. He hears you. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Luke, chapter 18, as he begins his message, When Life is Unfair. the Gospel of Luke. And I've chosen Luke chapter 18. Find it, but I got a couple of things to set this up uh, before we actually look at the text in Luke 18. But if you'll find Luke chapter 18, uh, and then just put a marker there for a minute because there's a couple of places we want to go before we read Luke 18. I really believe we're living in the last days just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe that because of the prophecies that have been fulfilled pointing to that soon coming day. Uh, Some of my favorites that that I get excited about, one is is a military alliance between ancient Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and Russia. There's a prophecy in Ezekiel 38 that one day in the future, an allied group of nations and many of them named right there in Ezekiel 38, will come against Israel. Two of those nations, ancient Persia and modern-day Russia, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years since that prophecy in Ezekiel was given, had no military alliance. So obviously, if they're going to become part of the allied group that comes against Israel in this future prophetic day, there has to be a military alliance. Guess what? We're the first generation living, and our eyes see the fulfillment of an alliance militarily between ancient Persia, modern-day Iran, and Russia. Wow. We're getting close. A second one 
is if you'd a hundred years ago read in Revelation chapter 13 about this thing called the mark of the beast, that in the coming day, uh, someone the Bible refers to as the Antichrist will rule the world. And in order to buy or sell, you have to get a mark on your right hand or somewhere on your forehead, and that'll be your checkout. They'll scan you somehow, or somehow that's your identifying uh, mark, and you can't buy or sell without that mark. hundred years ago, you would have read that and gone, what in the world are they talking about? But today, we know what it is, or at least likely what it is. It's a chip. They're using it not only on animals today, they're using it on humans today. And so we look at it and go, I know how that might happen. The technology's already here. A third prophecy I, I look at in this fascinating. Do you realize that for 2,000 years, Israel as a people and nation disappeared from the planet? There was no Israel for about 2,000 years. It's only since May 14, 1948, that miraculously overnight, Israel becomes a nation once again. Fulfillment of prophecy. Ezekiel again. Uh, Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones. And God asks the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, he's a smart prophet, he says, Lord, you know. And all of a sudden the bones begin to rattle and shake and then flesh comes on the bones. Prophetic vision of a future day when Israel, having been dead as a nation, now miraculously is revived. And prophetically, there has to be an Israel before Jesus comes in his second coming because there are prophecies related to the people and the land of Israel. Let me give you another one. Daniel tells us in chapter 12 that just prior to the second coming, knowledge will increase dramatically. You can't keep up with it. The knowledge in our day. It's more than multiplying. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus tarries what the world's going to be like technologically in five years, ten years? I mean, it's just mind-boggling. And then I had to throw in, because of what we're dealing with right now in the world, I had to throw in this one. There's the coronavirus. You say, that's in prophecy? Absolutely. No, I put Matthew 24, 7, but a better one, and I wish I'd changed it, uh, but a better one is Luke chapter 21, verse 11. They both say the same thing, but Luke may, says it more specifically, that there'll be pestilence. Pestilence. Pestilence is a fatal epidemic disease. That's not the only one we've had. And someone came up to me and said, are you saying that we're in that period known as the great tribulation, the seven-year period just prior to Jesus' coming? I said, no. But if you read Matthew 24 and places like Luke 21, where in answer to the disciples' question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he gives this long list. And he says, when you see all these things, all these things, not just one, but all these things beginning to happen. And when you look at all the things he mentioned, he says, then you know you're getting near. Guess what? We're getting near. We're getting close. Now, this is not a fun thing. And a lot of the things that are predicted before Jesus comes, it's going to get bad. You think this is bad? This is nothing. But when you think about all the negative things, listen, 
as a Christian, you're looking at the world and they're going, oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, the end of the world. As a Christian, you ought to go, oh, yeah, the end of the world. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that in, a, in a derogatory way or in a, in a fatalistic way. But look, the Bible is very clear. There are things that are going to happen prophetically that things are going to get really bad in the world prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so when we see these things begin to unfold, we as believers who are looking forward to a future world and have a certain hope of days to come, we're not going to go, or we shouldn't go, oh no, what's going to happen? Toilet paper's run out. No, 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 no. We go, wow, look at that. Everybody's going crazy and we know what's happening. And we're going to look up because your redemption draws nigh. Oh, no, the end of the world. Praise the Lord. Because when he comes, it's going to get better and better and better and better. So I want you to turn with me. You say, I thought we were going to Luke 18. We'll get there. But let me give you one more very quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul the Apostle writes, verse 1, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That's encouraging for the parents, huh? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But note this, note this. Having a form of godliness. Not that they stop believing in God. Not that they stop going to church. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Its power. Have nothing to do with them. Now, he's not talking about dislike them. He's saying, that's not the kind of people you want to hang out with. You want to hang out with people who who not just have a form of religion, a form of godliness, but they understand the power. The power. What's the power? Well, in Ephesians, Paul lists um, these pieces of armor that every Christian has at their disposal. Things like the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Things like the helmet of salvation. The shield of faith. And then at the very end, and some people don't include this one, and I don't get it. The last thing he mentions there, he says, and pray. And pray. To me, prayer is the heavy artillery. That's where the real power is. That's where the real oomph is. Now look, another whole message, we're not going there, but another whole message on whether your prayer is effectual. First of all, you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's your connection to heaven. There's your connection to the Father. It's through Jesus. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the first step. If you've got sin, known sin, nobody's perfect, but if you've got known habitual sin in your life, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Peter gives us another practical thing. Husbands, treat your wives with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Mm. But prayer, it's a great mystery, but it's a tremendous privilege. Prayer, there's power in prayer. Luke chapter 18. 
I put in my notes, the great challenge for the Christian living in the last days is to keep our focus fixed on heaven, to not allow what's happening in the world to soil our souls, cause us to fear as the world fears, but to persevere in the toughest of times to keep the faith. The faith. Luke 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Already, the implication is sometimes when you pray, you just feel like giving up for a lot of reasons. One is prayer is hard work. Paul mentioned a guy named Epaphroditus who wrestled in prayer. Wrestling is one of the hardest sports you can do. It's work. Always pray and not give up. And here's the parable to teach them. He said, verse 2, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes, will he find faith on the earth? I thought about it deeply. I did my due diligence. I studied, and I find six invaluable lessons from Jesus' parable and what he wants his disciples to understand about prayer. Number one, God's not like the unjust judge. Jesus intends it to be a stark contrast. The unjust judge, just to get the widow off his back. It's interesting, judges in those days a lot of times had a circuit they would go on, and so there were a lot of people coming to them with a lot of different needs. A lot of judges were unjust, like this one. And the way to get at the front of the line and to perhaps get your needs met, you bribe the judge. The widow obviously has no means to bribe the judge to get at the front of the line. She's in need and she's destitute. But she's determined. I mean, this widow, she will not leave him alone. (laughs) When it says in verse 5, I'll see that she gets justice, not because I care about men or fear God, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. That phrase, wear me out, in the Greek, it's a boxing term. You could actually translate it, I'm going to meet her need just so she won't give me a black eye. Because she just keeps punching. She just keeps coming. Boom, boom, boom. Leave me alone. Stark contrast. The message of the parable is, if the unjust judge, not because he fears God or cares about the widow, but just to get her off his back, will meet her need. God is not like that at all. Oh, so many scriptures I could go to. First one I chose is James 1.17. I want you to say it with me. Come on, say it with me. Here we go. Ready? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of light, who does not change like shifting shadows. 
I'm really thankful for that. You think about it. We each have our moments. You know if you're married, especially if you've been married a while, you know there are certain times it's not good to approach your spouse. Especially if you're wanting something from them, you choose the right time. Isn't it great God doesn't get up one day and go, oh, I just don't like them today. <laughs> he didn't get up one day and go, oh, I just don't feel like, I don't even want to hear him. I don't want to hear from him. Just leave me alone. <laughs> He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character doesn't change. I love what John says. Just three simple words. Here's what he said. God is love. And it doesn't change. He's always loved. That's that's his being. That's who he is. He's love. God loves you when your spouse doesn't love you. God loves you when your mom and dad don't love you. When your son and daughter don't love you. God loves you when your pastor doesn't love you. That's very rare. I love what Paul says in Romans. Catch this. Say this one with me. Are you ready? Here we go. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Corinthian church, they were Christian, but they were very immature. They were fighting over all kinds of things. They were taking one another to court and suing one another. And Paul tries to get them, get them out of that, you know? And one of the things he says in chapter 3, don't you realize that all things are yours? Let me link that up with Romans eight seventeen. Listen to what he says. Now, if we're children of God, then we're heirs. Heirs of God. Heirs of God. And co-heirs with Christ. You say, I'm not rich. If you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you're richer than you ever imagined. Because everything God has, you have. Join heirs with Christ. We're going to inherit everything. How cool is that, man? So the point is, God is not like the unjust judge. Point number two and lesson number two. The widow in the text, grant me justice against my adversary. We have an adversary. Peter tells us. Our adversary. He tells us. 1 Peter chapter 5, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Garden of Eden, Lucifer tempting man. What was the temptation? To doubt the goodness of God. That tree, you're not to eat of that tree? Did God really say, don't eat of that tree? Well, he's holding out on you. To doubt the goodness and the character of God. We have an enemy. We have an adversary. When you think about this, uh, we have to realize we are in a spiritual battle. And there is a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies. Very real. Let's go, though, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. If you know anything about the Bible, when I say the name Daniel, what most people think about is Daniel and the lion's den. God spared Daniel from the lion's den, but Daniel didn't know he'd be spared. 
He thought he was going to die. If you know anything about the book of Daniel, God reveals to Daniel the future. God shows him the kingdoms of the world and that one king will be toppled after a period of time. Another king comes to power. Another people come to power. But in the end, there's going to be an everlasting kingdom. And Daniel is going to be a part of that kingdom. Chapter 7, look at verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. That's Jesus. Coming with the clouds of heaven. That's the second coming. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is in the context of all that God is showing Daniel about the future. He knows the future. His challenge is the present. Go back to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is the record of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, God did spare him, but Daniel didn't know that was going to happen. You know what it was that put him in the lion's den? An act of injustice. Daniel was so a man of integrity... He had been given a position in the Babylonian government, later the Persian government. And God had so blessed him, even though he's in captivity away from his homeland, Israel. The people that worked with Daniel, they didn't like him. They didn't like him because he was Jewish, so it was a racial thing. They didn't like him because he didn't serve the pantheon of gods of the peoples of Babylon or Persia. He served the God of Israel. And so they plotted together against Daniel, and they said, we can't find anything in his work. He's a man of integrity. He's doing a great job. And so it'll have to be something to do with his God. They plotted. It worked. It got Daniel sent to a den of lions. Now, God is showing him prophetic things, but he needs encouragement in the present. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, fascinating. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published that would send him to the lion's den, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and what? He prayed. Not only did he pray. But knowing he's going into a den of lions, look at what it says. Giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Have you ever stopped and thought, Daniel knows he's going into a den of lions. What's he thanking God for? In the context of all that's being revealed to Daniel, you have to surmise he's saying to God, I thank you because I'm ready to die. There's no fear in death for me because I know where I'm headed. I thank you that you've shown me the future. That one day, the Son of Man, Jesus, will come, set up His kingdom, and Daniel will be part of a kingdom that will never, ever, ever end. And his encouragement in prayer 
in the present is because he's looking ahead to the future. Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today to study the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. These books are the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. He came to save each person from sin. He offered Himself as a sacrifice, taking the punishment your sins deserve. Today, you can have a new life because of Jesus. Are you ready to make that decision and give Him your sins and accept His grace? If so, we're so happy for you, and we'd love to talk to you more about it. Please let us know by emailing us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. We also want to encourage you to find a church home. Right now, we know that that's difficult, but we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for our online services. At ccfstpete.church, we live stream every Saturday at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 9 and 11, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Join Pastor Danny to learn more from the Bible and to spend time with us worshiping our Savior. You can also explore more teachings from this series and others at our website. One more time, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today. Know that we're praying for you. And we hope you'll join us again next time to continue studying the Gospels right here on The Living Word.